welcome to the Chai with Chai Offi podcast, a podcast where we are going to meet new people, share some crazy stories, all over a cup of beautiful hot chai, specially made by none other than your host Veeran Shah. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Chai with Chai Offi podcast. Tonight our guest is Yangbo, who's born and brought up from United States. He's a graduate from MIT, and we are going to go live with him. Hey Angbo, what's up? How are you? Doing very well. How about you?、Uh, near the end of the、uh, first quarter of the year. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. So I think my listeners would love to know about you. Like, what do you do? How are you? And what exactly is the story behind you and everything like that? So it would be great if you can tell them out. Well,、um, so the good question is,、uh, where shall we begin here? Short version: You could call me a Former academic turned entrepreneur, <laughs> he used to do six years research in energy and environmental policy.、Uh, economist from、uh, MIT, and last seven years been、uh, co-founding startups one after another and social enterprises. First born row failed fast and early, and now I've been、uh, transitioning into the impact project in that space to drive the means of implementation towards the seventeen sustainable development goals. Wow, so a graduate from MIT—that's pretty crazy. Because the thing is, every Indian sort of one or the other way has an aspiration to go into the MIT. Yeah, Boston is like the dream for almost not just Indian but、yeah. anyone. So, yeah, anyone in the world. Yeah, yeah. So how did you get into there, and like, you know, how has been the experience there? So here's with MIT, and it's not something you're going to hear from quite many. One is there is no formula whatsoever for getting in. Okay. So, for instance, just because so many apply to MIT, that it doesn't matter that even if they pick applicants at random, they're so well qualified already that wouldn't matter. So it's all about well, what's a unique value proposition you can bring? Basically, that's the key. And once you're in, it's really what do you. You get out however much and however much you put into it. That it can be either the most miserable experience or the most rewarding. <laughs> if you're one of those, if you'd rather they compete with other for GPAs and other things, well, then very quickly you'll find it be your most miserable. However, if you're willing to try something new, try something off the beaten path, take advantage of the resources there. And basically, blaze your own trail. It can be the most rewarding. Well, I guess that's the thing. That's the common thing for everyone. I guess once if you have something to give out to the world, or if you、yeah. are good at something and you know that's your USP, your unique selling proposition,、yeah. then I think you can succeed anywhere. Maybe may Harvard, maybe may MIT, or maybe Stanford, anywhere. Yeah, and then they're pretty self-selected. Yeah, yeah. So I guess you won't need to apply. The universities would be looking out for you anyway. Yes. <laughs> so with every couch surfer that I have on my podcast, I always travel with this sort of you know travel experiences they have had, how many countries they have traveled, and you know how. How being in India feels very different from other countries. So, if you can put some light onto that before we transit into some other conversation. Yes. So the impression of、uh, Mumbai and a good way to think about it is, think Tokyo, fifty years ago. 
very similar. And also, or even Hong Kong a bit later, in the 1970s, before the metro was built. Whatever issues, whatever challenges you're observing Mumbai, those cities have dealt with them quite successfully. So, it's basically, it's a stage of development you're seeing, and also that belies the massive potential this has, because for those viewers who are familiar with the United States, you could think of Mumbai as New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago, all in one. <laughs> that it's the number one export hub for manufacturers in India. Yeah. Not to mention being the number one manufacturing hub in itself. <laughs> number one financial center in India, and the world's leading film production hub by volume. Wow. Yes, yeah, so you have Los Angeles, Chicago, New York City. In all, all clubbed into yeah. one. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And that's a very different take from what normally the couch surfers that I meet take because the thing is the normally the kind of couch surfers I meet are mostly the travelers or the backpackers that are very tight on budget and travel in the India. So you know they have all this different sort of explanation to Mumbai the one that you have. You have a more business oriented or uh, very different outlook to Mumbai. And which is very good because the you the viewers or the listeners would get to know a very different thing rather than the ones they have been already listening to. So I'm pretty glad that you brought this up. But now the thing that you're telling about Bombay is if let's say it's 50 years a little back from Japan. So is there anything that Bombay can do to catch up? Well, quite a number of policy measures. So number one is... Just let's take the Ravi or any of the informal settlements okay. in Mumbai. Most of Tokyo in the 1950s looked just like that. Okay. Because after World War II, there was only enough to restore electricity and running water. The rest, they're on their own. The key though was that they had strong property rights protection, land title, land tenure. All that was guaranteed. Okay. So thus, as households grew wealthier, they were able to improve the quality of their dwellings time to time. So, let's say Tokyo in the 50s, a lot of uh, plywood and cardboards, or plywood shacks mainly. Then you start seeing corrugated steel and aluminium. Hmm. And then by the 70s, you started seeing more and more houses built with reinforced concrete. And it's actually quite akin to how some of the politicians, uh, more than a few by now, thanks to one in Delhi who's promoted this, that they're promising within 5-10 years, give every household a concrete house. <laughs> so there is a path to it. Okay. Well, the key is you're going to need to adjust the change some of the institutions you're going to have to reform. And in some cases, pretty dramatically, institutions, rule of law, land title, and those. But it can easily be done, and it's even easier if there is a will to do it, because number one, the technology, and number two, is that you have a much higher, you have the highest concentration of low-cost yet high-skilled workforce here in India. Of course. Yeah. Truly. True, true. Very true. So... Yeah, coming back to the countries that you have traveled to, like, can you name a few when you know where your best experience was? Yes, like? sure. So quite a few of them actually. Okay. Another one was 
the place where I spent the, um, oh, so let's start with you. So, the place where I spent the, uh, longest on this itinerary was London, most of November. And then over there, uh, that was pretty much where I first realized just how unique my hometown of New York City is. <laughs> in terms of this attitude, this mentality, that you're gonna be able to find it easily if you go there. How do you help me help you? <laughs> that type of mutual assistance. Whereas in London, the approach, what the prevailing mind was, mindset was more about just keep it to yourself. Okay. That far less of that. Okay. Despite it being more of a genuinely global city. So that's uh, London. Another one I'd note. Tirana, Albania. Okay. Diamond in the rough. That it has a potential with the climate. If it plays its cards right. Low cost, high skill labor. It could rival San Francisco and Silicon Valley oh, in a wow. few decades, potentially. Yeah, potentially. And then thirdly, and this would be of most relevance to the audiences here domestically, Istanbul, hmm. where it's the closest to Mumbai in the overall experience. Okay. Very cosmopolitan, and also right now, again, um, much of it is, I wouldn't quite say this is for a good reasons because of what the government policy is there. Okay. But again, the silver lining is, thanks to that, if you're visiting Istanbul these days, it's about as cheap as Mumbai or anywhere in India. <laughs> wow. And now then you came to Mumbai. Yes. Right after New Year's Day. So, also wanted to ask about Couchsurfing. Yeah. Like, how do you get to know about Couchsurfing and how much have you used it and what are your views about it? I'd say, for one, first heard about it, actually someone who brought this up at MIT. Okay. That, and then, I've mainly been using it uh, mainly for uh, travel and also, and also to engage with those since I've actually found quite a number who are very environmentally and socially minded through the platform. Oh, that's good. Yeah, there are quite a few of those. So alright, uh, since my podcast is a little bit more about traveling, yeah. I'll ask you a little bit of related to traveling questions and then we can, you know, Definitely. Switch, Feel free. switch to your uh, startup talks, yeah. you know. So now, the thing is, this India trip that you've been making, is this like a sort of a business trip or is this a leisure trip? All of the above. Okay. <laughs> so this has become, uh, it started as an extending, extended uh, working holiday. Hmm that thanks to a series of happy accidents last year that got me to Dublin on a speaking engagement around smart cities and then up going across uh, Europe given what happened uh, since last summer, last spring and summer it's a working group on a few blockchain projects and thanks to poor management by a CEO client, the key client refused to pay hmm. so my two techno partners and I were all owed 15 lakhs wow. of IOUs. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that was how much we were owed, each of us. <laughs> and yeah, it would have been more costly for me to cancel my speed engagement, uh, so they decided just pay for my airfare, one way across the pond, and any train tickets that come up while mm. I'm in Europe. Okay. 
and the reason I ended up staying in London that long, as I mentioned earlier, was I was invited to a couple events during the conference of parties on climate change in Poland that okay. December. Okay. So why bother going back across the pond, and then one week later, another flight back to the right side of the pond, <laughs> to stay in London, at least close the online-offline loop, at least get to meet those who reached out to me online face-to-face in the meantime, and then leisurely make my way back across the European continent. <laughs> there. So now that I'm in Mumbai, it's already become a borderline mini sabbatical. <laughs> here, given that based on what I have left uh, in uh, Europe for much of quarter two this year, won't be back in New York until late June or early July. Well. Yeah, it's that's pretty much what you could expect of the nature of work in this century. <laughs> I get it. And when you t- told about the clients not paying, I guess that's a very common thing in uh, everywhere. That, very. Yeah, yeah, because the thing is, the, the my father himself uh, waits a lot for the clients, for yeah. his clients to pay. And yeah. it turns out you have to pledge it back to them that yeah. please pay our money, please yeah. pay our money. Yeah. So yeah, that's quite a yeah. thing. And uh, I wanted to ask one thing that uh, have you been traveling alone or with uh, friends or how has it been? It was uh, all my own. All my own. Yeah. So, do you prefer that way or do you prefer it with friends? What do you prefer more? Well, greatly depends. Um, challenges. I've tended to do a lot better solo okay. traveling. Okay. In a sense that, just often that, especially with uh, cuisine, that. Often cases just go as adventurous as I may <laughs> with the cuisine, and especially just having had situations where, on previous family holidays when growing up, my parents have had a pretty strong aversion to a pretty wide range of cuisines. Okay. They just couldn't stomach it's that day. <laughs> so, what's your favorite cuisine like? Well, uh, my repertoire uh, extends from Southeast Asia to the Western Mediterranean. <laughs> and above all, I'd say pretty much above all, just anywhere along the Indian subcontinent, given you have the most diverse range of, course. of flavor profiles, thanks to India having greater ethno-linguistic diversity than the entire European Union. <laughs> and um, yet somehow the country keeps together. <laughs> that's yeah. true. Yeah. That's true. So tell us a little bit about your first traveling experience that you've ever done. The first ever. Well, first ever uh, was... It was joining with my family along with my father and his supervisor when he was still finishing his uh, postdoctorate on a business trip to a conference in uh, Dallas, Texas. Okay. So it was mainly with uh, his uh, his um, principal investigator's son as well. And that was basically, that was the first time I remember after several years setting foot on an airplane. Oh, wow. First time. Safe for really, face safe for really the first time. So the first time was when both my parents, when they emigrated, when I was still, uh, wasn't even school age, so when they emigrated to the United States. But I'd say the first time I was fully conscious of what was happening, like fully, Hmm. as opposed to just vague memories Hmm. of the trip, was uh, more than 20 years ago, actually. That was Texas. Okay. It was basically my first air, basically first air trip. 
That's crazy. Yeah. First air trip, and uh, of course, not counting multiple road trips <laughs> for <course>. weekends. <laughs> just so my parents, they can buy uh, groceries from. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. I, I don't want your chai to get colder, so you can maybe yeah. keep having the sip of it. Otherwise, yeah. we both talk a lot, so anyway, we're gonna keep talking and talking. Yeah. <laughs> so coming coming to this part about your startups that yeah. you told me that you, you know you like around almost your fifth or fourth or fifth startup. And, seven batches. Yeah, yeah, seven batches. So how does it all feel like right now coming from a let's say you know consider a position where you started your first thing and now you are at your fifth or seventh batch thing and. Almost all of the startups have been a little bit around the sustainable development of yeah, very loosely, very, yeah, very much about the social business kind of thing. But correct. With once one of them towards the video, yeah. video marketing or yeah. media side, apart, yeah. apart from that. So, like, give us a brief about all, all of them, would you? Well, and um, the good thing is, uh, first, thanks to those startups, got exposure to pretty much every sector you could name. <laughs> wow. And it only helped being based in New York all those years. All right. And secondly, is going through a very wide range of failure modes. Wow. So how different startups, how different failure modes, by the point that it's already to this point where it is not to mention just having engaged in some capacity, whether it's observing part of a team, mentoring or judging, over 160 hackathons in New York over wow. those seven years. Oh, and about the hackathons, I saw your post on the Northern New York office of Spotify where you were yeah. a part of the hackathon, I guess. So you can tell us a little bit about that yes. as well. So with those, that, and some of them, that's actually a pretty unique series you have in New York called the Monthly Music Hackathon. And it's one of the very few, though these days there are increasingly many, that are more hardware focused. Okay. So, and especially, I'd expect to see more of those given how 5G, like fifth generation broadband, is being rolled out. Okay. And that's just going to enable even easier use of connected devices hmm. for an ever greater range of applications. So one example you could think of is what if, let's say, your eyeglasses become a head-up display? <laughs> wow. For example, that why do you need a mobile device when the most important info need would be beamed Right, right onto your right. glasses. But won't it get too much that you know constant notifications are coming on your like in front of your eyes even while you're walking or working or something like that? Won't it get too much? Well, again, that's the that's for, for user experience designers. That's the key. And the original, actually, the original value proposition for things like Google Glass and such yeah. is, and even decades before that, head up head up displays in aircraft cockpits hmm. is that head up display the intent is to display what is the first thing you should pay attention to before looking anywhere else. Yeah. So if you design that way, then of course it can be much more helpful. Definitely, yeah. definitely. And so we are, we were talking about your startups. And... Yeah. Mm. Yep, uh, and uh, many of those others, that, that was actually how I first got in tune with, right, so what's with this concept of the fourth industrial revolution here, mm. as they say? And just to give you a brief uh, refresher, you had the first nut revolution, so eight, early 1800s, canals, steam engines, and all. Second one, you had very large factories for mass-producing cars and other goods, electricity, and all that. 
third, you had telecommunications, airplanes, information exchange, TV, radio, World Wide Web near the end of that. And now the fourth, you're getting exponential growth of technologies, where what's unique about the fourth is you have three trends converging that's shaping where the next biggest challenges lie. Mm. And those three trends are you have ever increasing returns to technology mm. with exponential growth, and not just exponential, because now you, you may have heard of Moore's Law, with yeah, chips yeah. every two years, double chip capacity. Yeah. <laughs> well, now there's Metcalf's Law. So once social networking came into play, hmm. every time you add a node, you increase by factorial okay. of that in terms of total number of connections. Okay. So you get ever more powerful computing systems. Definitely. So you get exponential growth there. That's coupled with, well, increasing inequalities. So you have increasing dominance of platform monopolies like Google, Facebook. Amazon and mm. all of them, mm. which raises questions about how equitable is all this new technology. That who's benefiting from it really? Mm. And the third, and probably the most urgent of them, is you're approaching ever and ever tighter environmental constraints. Okay. Climate change yeah. is the big one. So you have all those converging. That is where the challenges. For the next ten years and the next thirty years, all I. Okay, and that's how you build your startups around them. Around them, and then that's how I've now, for the last two years, been shifting my focus towards the finance side. Okay. All the technologies, everything we need to solve those problems, everything's there. It's that everything, all the tools we need, and money is not the problem either. Now, question is: Okay, how do we make that choice the easy choice? Hmm. Designing new products to make them financially attractive. Okay. Yeah. This were the gist of all the start startups combined. So, tell us about your latest one. You know. Well, so it's far more scale up than startup. Yeah. Given the business model is pretty well defined. Okay. That's more about scaling this. So, there are two fronts to this. Okay. So, if you consider. That number one is, what if you think, think about putting your savings to work, hmm. upgrading local community infrastructure.、Hmm. So let's say here in Mumbai, for instance, if you could be funding upgrades to the metro, expanding the metro, expanding bus rapid transit for those in the Bandra down Linking Road or in SV Road especially. Yeah. And then exchange have equity holdings in tr new tradable development rights around those upgrades. Wow! So at the same time, you increase the supply of housing, thus alleviating price pressures. Wow! And、uh, so、that's one. And in rural India, you could do the same thing with electrification, allowing villages to become small to mid-sized cities in a few decades by moving up the value chain. Through electrification from renewable sources,、hmm. so that is from ground level what it's going to look like. Of course. Now, from the high level, 
let's start with let's start with how money flows. So one of the most liquid markets in the world, commodity markets. Hmm. Think gold, aluminium, oil, gas, and even Bitcoin today. Hmm. All those are commodities. Yeah. And given how many people trade in those, you might as well throw real estate and art in that. Yeah. yeah given how many people trade in these goods. So what I've been focusing on is I've been working with my co-managing partner. He's the executive chairman of a new entity called Smart Assets.、Okay. I'm non-executive director. And what we're doing is we're creating, we're being becoming a market maker, first mover, market ma- maker, first. To focus on impact around commodities trading, so use the margins that are gained by trading, and for those the buyers and sellers, they can enhance their earnings by investing those margins into sustainable development goals aligned asset classes.、Wow. Number one, it's going to be enhancing of their returns, enhance their returns, because disproportionately it's going to be emerging markets. And instead of the two percent just sitting at your accounts in the developed countries, developed markets, mature markets, you could be earning six to eight percent because of higher GDP growth in emerging markets like India, especially.、Yeah. Number two is that because you reduce your risk exposure because you've already made yourself more robust against strand asset risk. Now that solar, especially in India, is cheaper than coal, <laughs> pretty soon. Those with coal reserves, their value will be going down to zero. <laughs> Who wants to hold on to those reserves by then? You want to sell those quickly you can、right. before the value drops. And given by extension, given that electric cars will become much cheaper, oil soon will be so priced so low that it'll be uneconomical to drill for more oil.、Mm. I mean, it may take some time, but course, that's that's where the trends are going. Nothing happens. Yeah, adult、uh, fast. It happens gradually. Yes. So by being able to start, so with commodities trade, given the how much of volumes, that's how we start moving wealth. So around the world, twenty to twenty-five thousand lakh crores of private wealth available for investing, and opportunities around the seventeen goals,、hmm. six to eight thousand lakh crores. Yeah. So five hundred at least five hundred lakh crores of opportunity new opportunities worth a year. And actually, if you consider that most of what's being done in the mature markets is just replacing infrastructure that's become obsolete because of age, this actually may be cheaper when it comes to public finances,、wow. given the way technology is going. Beautiful. Yeah. So, like, talking about these、uh, sustainable development goals,、uh, like when I was a part of this organization、yeah. called ISEC、yes. for like almost a year, one one and a half year or something, we. Were pretty much focused on the sustainable development goals that the UN had set because there were a lot of people coming coming in、uh, for internships regarding that. Could it be anything related to women empowerment? Could it be anything to sanitation or anything like that? So it, it's like I think it's be it's a very great thing that is going to take place in, in the near future. Yes,、uh, for sure. And、uh, one area that is often overlooked. Is that around these SDGs, the biggest missing piece is the emphasis on them as the greatest 
business opportunity of this era. Of course. As opposed to a charity measure. All right. Because what is an easier sell? Instead of talking about poverty, why not talk about prosperity? Wow. So here is what many don't realize the actual ramification of how the predecessor, the Molemda Mongols, and such have been framed. And granted, um, again, in spite of many uh, quite uh, valid critiques, hmm. and even accounting for those, on balance, international development aid, pretty effective in improving those metrics. But what it ignores is that all you've done with poverty alleviation is you've moved individuals from starvation to merely destitution. <laughs> I mean, they're not going hungry anymore, but they couldn't really do anything else. Fair enough. Yeah, and then, and yes, fully acknowledge that mainland China, they're probably the biggest success story of reducing the population who are destitute from over half a billion to less than 10% of that within 15 years. Okay. So, and yet that overlooks the fact that belies how that model, they went from a state of destitution. They're no longer destitute, but they can't really afford to spend any of that because they're forced to save because of lack of a safety net and because of low wages given the focus on export promotion from the central government. So that really may actually be mean, whereas that's the key advantage with India, that how over 90% of and almost all of the growth in India is being led by domestic consumption. Hmm. So that already is a sign that India stands a good chance of blazing a far more sustainable growth model, a far more viable growth model. As well as a business model. Yes. Yeah, for, yes, for sure. So the case of, well, instead of just talking about alleviating poverty, what about a prosperity agenda? That's a beautiful take on it. But yeah. I guess a lot of people are not still there yet to consider it as a business opportunity, I guess. Yeah, for sure. There, there are some, and it's more about the messaging than anything else. Yeah. yeah. And there are even case studies. Take okay. a look at Japan, for example. All right. It took them only 25 years to achieve what it took the United States a century to achieve okay. in terms of increasing the level of human development. Alright. So, for example, Japan, around the end of World War II, relatively low income. Hmm. Yet, within 25 years, they were already on par with Western Europe and quickly catching up to United States. Yeah. So that's one example. No reason why India plays its cards right, can accomplish something similar in even less of time. And even consider this. So, and I'm pretty much you know who I'm referring to here, and this might appeal to some factions of certain parties here, <laughs> is that just consider 2047. If you could just picture India by then. If you know how Hong Kong and the World War II, less than a quarter of the income per capita 
in the, of the UK. By the late 1980s, they reached parity, and now their income is 50% higher than those in the UK. So consider right now, what if by the 100th anniversary of independence, India has per capita income on par with that of the UK? It can definitely happen. Yeah, there's enough to do it. It's, all that needs is the will. If you can picture it, and it's been done before, look at South Korea, one of the poorest countries in the world in the early 70s. Hmm. And yet, 40 years later, look where they are now. Oh. One of the most digitally advanced economies sure. in the world. Yeah. With most reliable internet broadband oh. <laughs> to boot. Oh. Same with Taiwan. Yeah. Around that same period. Can be done before with the right policies. It can be done now as well. Yes. True. So, I mean, for me, this is a whole new experience, honestly speaking, because this sort of conversations I have never had with any sort of a yeah. couch surfer uh, before. Because the thing is, most of the times when uh, I'm uh, having podcasts with any couch surfer, is mostly about, you know, life lessons or life experiences. And I've, I've always been inclined towards the business aspect, discussing yeah. business and everything. Yeah. But it's very rare that I've got an opportunity to discuss business or discuss extra stuff that maybe I have a very little knowledge about or basic knowledge about to someone. So it's very interesting to know a different, very different approach to all these things like that. So it's an amazing and thanks a lot for this. And there are some few points that I want to discuss with you as well. So mainly, do you have a personal favorite SDG that you want to work upon or is it like all the group of 17 SDGs that you want to work on together? Well, so with all of those, of course, if you have number 17, it's pretty a circular argument yeah. because goal 17 includes all the rest. And so, but there are three that I'd single out okay. as being the three key SDGs that the three of them at your core will make all the others easy. Hmm. Let's start with the first one. The all-enabling SDG. Goal number seven, sustainable energy for all. Okay. Remember, energy is a factor of production. Yeah. Nothing's possible without reliable energy. Yeah. And it has to be in a way that is actually viable. So just to give you an example, a couple years ago, actually over a decade ago by now, researchers at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich examined, they evaluated, okay, how much power supply, power allocation, does each individual require to have a high standard of living? Okay. You found 2,000 watts. Hmm. That, and that, that's not just the energy you consume, it's also the embodied energy in the goods you buy. Okay. So, just by that measure, chances are you probably won't be owning your own car <laughs> because <laughs> half the amount of energy in a private automobile that you own, yeah. half yeah. of the energy is incurred in a manufacturing process, the embodied energy. Yeah. Yeah. That's. That's one example, but uh, that aside, if you take that 2000 watt as a benchmark 
and considered just over a billion in the world who still don't have reliable access to energy, and you consider that as a benchmark, by bridging that gap, you're able, at current late technologies, you're going to be able, for 2000 watts, you can actually boost per capita amongst over a billion, you're going to be able to increase global so gross world product by a third to a half mm. by 2030. Wow. So that's the so that's the potential you have right there. That's all enabling SDG. Second one is the all encompassing SDG. Hmm. Goal number five. Okay. Gender equality. Okay. It basically means that no we have no person to waste. Everyone's valuable. Definitely. And then, last one, we got the all-exemplifying SDG. Goal number 11, sustainable cities. <laughs> that going forward, and even rural areas. Okay. The villages you see today, you visit, a few decades, especially here in India, they're becoming small to mid-sized cities. Maybe even megacities, if the economy really picks up, especially. So, that how do you get the SDGs? The building blocks. The SDGs, will we achieve them or not? That would depends on what happens in the cities. Okay. So, yeah guys, that I should definitely tell you about. One thing about Yangbo is that I've realized that he's a lot about entrepreneurship as well as sustainable development goals because he loves sustainability. And if you want to know anything about sustainability, please message him on Instagram or LinkedIn and he can actually tell you his LinkedIn as well as Instagram handles so that you can maybe, you know, text him or to if you are very much into the sustainability, anything. So if you can tell us about your yes. Instagram or... Definitely, yeah. and um, so it's pretty easy with LinkedIn that if you uh, search my full name on uh, Google, uh, yeah. Yambo Do. Could you just spell it out for the yes. listeners? Yep, so here's in the spelling alphabet, uh, Y as in Yankee, A as in Alpha, N as November, G as in Golf, B as in Bravo, O as in Oscar, that's my forename, <laughs> and then my surname, D as in Delta, U as in Uniform. So Yangbo Du, Y-A-N-G-B-O-D-U. Yes. Perfect. And then if you're looking for me on Instagram, yeah. it's the same as my Twitter handle. Might not be the most obvious to you, but <laughs> let me explain very quickly. So <laughs> the first thing. time I went on uh, Twitter, it was as community manager of MIT's uh, Social Enterprise Accelerator, the yeah. Ideas Global Challenge. And the normal username I used had been squatted. So my full name, all lowercase, no space, that had already been squatted. So create this MIT Global Challenge Community Manager, and it's stuck. <laughs> so it's ampersand uh, at MITGC M underscore CM. Perfect. So guys, do message him if you are very much into sustainability or even entrepreneurship regarding the sustainability or social business or anything. I'm sure he's going to help you out a lot. So now coming back to the podcast that we were discussing, let's talk a little bit about your life. Like yeah. no business, just life. Yeah. Like how have you been doing? How have you been your parents doing? If you have any siblings or anything and everything that you can tell us a little bit about your life. Well, yeah, well, I do have a younger brother who's 13 years below my age. Okay. So uh, he's actually, 
I'd say, and it's quite the impression he makes, that he's definitely a better fit, I'd say, for Harvard. Okay. Yeah. Based on his demeanor <laughs> and what he wants to be doing. Well, both of them are engineers, and honestly, it's a pretty strange relationship by this point, <laughs> given that's polar opposite personalities, so... Okay. It's basically raised under a dominance relationship. <laughs> that basically, and you'll probably understand what I mean, that if you've ever dealt with a micromanager, <laughs> that's what I mean. <laughs> you, you, you get what I mean I here. Just, I, I don't yeah, get Yes, so basically my entire life growing up as a child, that was what I went through. <laughs> and uh, one is, that's so the case is either you are sure you're in the right and you're prepared to win the argument ensues, or you just keep yourself quiet. That was the approach. Perfect. So it was either, for me, this, it's actually how I got to this, how I became, how my friends told me how I got addicted to learning, was you may have subconsciously realized, that probably did happen, that once your knowledge base surpasses theirs, you're safe, you're out of their reach. Wow. Yeah. So I think we are almost coming towards the end of our podcast, but there's one thing that I have in my mind that I want to share it out or discuss it out with you is that you uh, you had one digital marketing or video marketing related startup of your own, right? Correct. Uh, and I just wanted to know that now that the machine learning and artificial intelligence is getting a lot of boost and a lot of people are focusing on it. Uh, what's your take regarding that in terms of the video marketing, digital marketing that's coming into place in terms of all the social media right now available? Do you have any take on it or? Well, number one is with all that technology, it doesn't fundamentally change the fact that if your messaging is right, who cares what screen you see at all? Okay. And if your messaging is wrong, then what difference does anything else make? Fair enough. Yeah. I guess that's pretty much it. And so I would love for you to give some quick advices to every anyone who is either starting out something of their own or you know if they are some like let's say traveling for themselves or they're traveling for the first time or any advice that you have any any of the advice that you have for the listeners right now in terms of anything that you feel could be useful for them well, number one is and here there's a 10 second self-assessment that you can use yeah. and something to really ask yourself is that if you were to die now, will you have any regrets? And if you hear a resounding no in your response, keep doing what you're doing. Wow. I guess that pretty much sums it up what Yango is all about. And uh, I think we will just discuss the takeaways that we have had in the whole podcast by now. And we'll probably wrap it up. So, in terms of takeaways, what we discussed with how Couchsurfing has been an amazing platform to meet some amazing people. And second is, there are very much business opportunities even in terms of the sustainable development goals that are set by the UN. And I guess a lot of people can catch up on it, especially if you are budding entrepreneur uh, going towards the sustainability side. And, and finally, you got to know his Twitter and Instagram handles and I'm sure he's going to help you out. Uh, so do make sure to message him. And yeah, I guess that's about it. Do you have anything to add? Well, you summed it up uh, pretty well there, and uh, just the last word uh, around, and this ties in, uh, whether you call it sustainability or not, 
But something to consider when you're starting a firm is figure out how gnarliest look for the gnarliest problems you can get your hands around. Because it's those problems most people are not going to even bother. They perceive it as too challenging. Hmm. Yet, if you're willing to persevere, yeah. if you're willing to basically give up everything else, every distraction, every bit of noise, if you're willing to persevere through it, then you can actually position where you don't even have to worry about any type of competition whatsoever. True. I think the thing about perseverance is, of course, perseverance is an important thing. But the thing is, the reason that we perceive is because we are very passionate about it. So I think the passion is also needed to be there a lot so that we can persevere on and on consistently without uh, without considering any problems whatsoever. Right? Right, correct. And it's you'll definitely get to a point where, and for me it happened uh, pretty early on, that to a point where you've already crossed the point of no return. You're at the center of this challenge and pathways towards solutions and you're not going to be able to back out now. <laughs> that's very much true. Yeah. So that's all about from the podcast today. Here's your host Viral Shah signing out. Let's keep rolling. Let's keep creating that tasteful impact over Chayofi. Go follow it if you still haven't. And that's about it. See you guys in the next podcast. 